This podcast was brought to you by Supersound. Supersound. Hello and welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I started doing it in the Anthony Murray voice. I don't know why I suddenly lost my own voice. Okay. Three, two. Hello and welcome to the Wit Beyond Measure podcast. Uh, I am your uh, irregular host, Neil Scott, and uh, I'm here to introduce a special segment that we've got that we've uh, basically been encouraged to do by the fact that with all our, you know, the controversy around our comments about Vladimir Putin and the, the Russian situation, we've actually somehow become the voice of free Russia. And uh, we've, we've got more and more popular and uh, we've, we've been contacted by Netflix Russia. Unfortunately, to, to view some of this material, you might need a VPN to you know, set it to Russia and then you'll be able to access Netflix Russia. Uh, but, but Netflix Russia have sent us along uh, two young comedians who are preeminent comedians in, in, in Russia uh, to tell us about their new special. Um, so I'm going to welcome to the show Novichok and Polonium. Uh, introduce yourselves, guys. Hello, I am Novichok. Hello, and I am Polonium. And Thank we you. Are Russia, like you say, Russia's preeminent improvised stand-up comedian performer act. Yes, we are much loved in Russia. And have you, uh, you've come across the Whitby on Measure? Like, how is it going down in uh, in the Great Bear in Russia? Oh, Russia love it beyond measure. Lots of students and uh, bot factory staff sit and listen to it on their iPhones and stuff and sit and laugh. They love you, Neil. Neil Scott, very, very popular member with his sort of, you know, spectator-influenced uh, contributions to the show. Uh, they love you, Neil. Thank you very much, Polonium. And uh, anything to say about the rest of the cast, Richard and Anthony? We are not so much fans of them so much because they don't talk about reading Spectator, which is one of favorite magazines in Russia these days. Spectator, most translated newspaper magazine into Russian language. Fantastic. Well, um, we've, been, we've heard lots of good things about you two. How has it been kind of uh, traveling across Russia, delivering this stand-up, like um, what kind of topics have you been addressing? Because, you know, we, we hear things about Putin's Russia being, you know, like uh, quite dictatorial, you know, they have their kind of party line. How, how do you manage to work around those, those, those issues? Anything goes. We have full freedom to say whatever we want to say. For example, right now, uh, Novachok, say anything you like. Just pretend we're on yeah. stage, say whatever you like. We, we are free to make any kind of joke. Sometimes we make joke about how good Vladimir is at karaoke. Sometimes we make joke about, yes. you know, sometimes he only scored four goals in his ice hockey game. Four goals, <laughs> like, yeah. like some kind of asshole. Yeah. Four goals, no <laughs> way, man. Yeah, we make all these kind of crazy jokes about uh, Vlad, Vladimir. But no, no, he's great. Big fan of the show. Fantastic. And um, is there any comedians you like in, in the UK, like things that you've been influenced by? Like, who are your big influences? Well, I, I personally, I, I'll go first. My my uncle was huge Anglophile. This is going back to 70s, 80s. And as soon as Berlin Wall come down, he moved. He obsessed with Beatles and Liverpool Football Club. So he moved to England in 1990s, stayed for a couple of years. 
and he come back to Russia with VHS tapes of all the great, great British comedians. I'm talking Cannonball, Hail and Pace, and the king of comedy, Bobby Devro. <laughs> They Those guys were huge and huge influence on myself and, and possibly Novichok. I'm not sure. I, I think we've discussed this, but who are your favorites? Yes, I'm very much like David O'Doherty. He's a very whimsical man. Very whimsical. I like, I like tiny keyboard. That gets people very angry, Novachok, because he Irish. Yes. Not British. Neil British man, spectator reader. Don't throw some <laughs> Irish guy in his face. Major insult on his own podcast. Yes, Polonium, but... Polonium, Novichok, you're going to get me into trouble with Anthony and uh, Richard because uh, they're, they're very anti-spectator and, uh, you know, we don't we don't like to tell them too much about that. Um, but, but we don't want to be too whimsical on this segment. There is serious things happening in Russia. It's been in the news a lot at the moment. Do you guys have a message for the people of Ukraine who, you know, um, are currently wondering what's going to happen to their country over the next few months? Yes, see you in Kiev. <laughs> yes, we... For our tour, is joke. <laughs> I'm sure a promoter guy could have us do show. Uh, our promoter was trying to get us do... You know how American comedians travel to front line to make soldiers laugh? You know, like, what do you call it? Tour? Like, comedy tour? Like Bob Hope in World War Two Or... Uh, the, the, great war. Think of, the Great Patriotic War. The Great Patriotic War, yes. Actually, Russian comedian Boris Nikolaev Shamrov used to do the same thing, you know, as the tanks, the Battle of the Kursk, as, as Russia moved east, uh, west, sorry, into Germany and Czechoslovakia and Hungary. Uh, the comedians were always there, uh, probably about uh, one kilometer behind the rapers, uh, really, you know, making people laugh. So uh, that is hopefully something we will do. We will be in Crimea and be in the eastern Ukraine and uh, making the Russian soldiers laugh. And the further they go, the more our audience expands. Yes, Polonum, you are wrong. They started in USSR. They move west. They are still in USSR. <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> yes. That's the kind of geopolitical humor you get from us. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, um, so this has been very much an interview, but I've been provoked recently into listening to Joe Rogan, who has also been very controversial this week. And the thing about Joe Rogan is that he doesn't do interviews. He kind of does conversations. So is there anything you want to ask uh, me or questions I can ask the rest of the other boys? Yes. Why you don't like Sputnik vaccine? I myself have seven shots of Sputnik vaccine, but in the West, they don't like. Why? Uh, I think it's very nationalist, isn't it? Yeah, we only get the thing that we want. Like people when AstraZeneca came out were like, brilliant, we've got a British vaccine. Um, and there was a, yeah, I think there's a story this week about how AstraZeneca's effectiveness, like the criticism about it possibly killed thousands of people who didn't take the vaccine because of the scare stories. But um, Russia's it, doing okay, isn't it, in terms of the Sputnik? Like, not that many people have died like compared to other countries, have they? Well, we, as always in Russia, we wait for spring to let the snow thaw and count piles of dead people under snow. 
many of those people would not be COVID deaths, but some of them might have been. So there's no real way of knowing in Russia. Um, but you're 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 coming on our podcast and you're expressing a, a kind of um, you know a welcome to the West. Yes, everyone. I don't know. I I was thinking what you say earlier about VPN. If you change your VPN to like Russia setting, surely it just becomes much more restrictive and internet not work much. So rather than the exact opposite of what you're trying to achieve. But I see your point. But anyone who hears Netflix get our special don't mention democracy. Although it's funny on on several levels, uh, but that is our special. And obviously, I don't know if you've heard the controversy in Britain about Jimmy Carr, who has his own Netflix special being called to be taken down and banned or, you know, edited or even, you know, him thrown in jail. I've heard some people say, has your comedy special caused any controversy in uh, in the press in uh, Russia? No, not really. Uh, people, I mean, people come people come to our show either in the theater or uh, online platform for light entertainment. We're not there to say racist things about people. So, example, I, this is as risky as we will get, Neil. You see men traveling on airport, airplane, right? Men traveling on airplane. Mm-hmm. How can you tell difference between Russian men on airplane or Georgian men on airplane? I don't know. How can you tell the difference? The Russian men's bags will be full of vodka. The Georgian men's will be full of red wine. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why you guys are so successful. Um, I, Honestly, <laughs> anywhere between Odessa and Vladivostok, that joke kills. Because, uh, you know, Russia's had problems with pogroms and, issue, you know, like the, the gypsies. Is there anything, you know, uh, in your show about gypsies that could get you into Jimmy Carr style trouble? We make this problem disappear over <laughs> many decades of, you know, solving the problem, so to speak. So not not big problem now. Um, and so you're going to go on tour around Russia yes. and the greater Soviet sphere. Yes. Sphere. <laughs> um, um, any any dates you want to promote? Um, in the next yeah, period? well, we start in Vladivostok and head west and we do all the big ones. Uh, Richard, name all the Russian towns you can mention. Uh, Moscow, Moscow. St. Petersburg. Yep. Kiev. Just Kiev. a joke. <laughs> Big show in Kiev. Sebastopol is the Russian city. Sebastopol. What's the one on the little island bit? Uh, Riga. <laughs> uh, Tallinn. What's the next one? Uh, Vilnius. Vilnius, and then the actual rich, little Russian bit just south of that. What's that? Uh, a look on that. <laughs> <laughs> Kaliningrad, Kaliningrad. Of course, we do Kaliningrad. Well, if anyone uh, is interested in seeing um, some great improvised comedy from our Russian friends, uh, Novichok and Polonium, the best double act in um, in the whole of Vladivostok. Please go and see them. Check them out on their website. Of course, uh, find us, like and subscribe, come to our podcast. It's uh, novichokpolonium.ru and uh, you can check that out now. So um, thanks, guys, and um, see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil. Spasiba. Um, so uh, 
that was a little interview we did little section and uh i'm gonna try and dial in to um to our regular hosts um and allow anthony to take over hosting duties hopefully so ring 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 <laughs> jimmy carr richard yes criminal villain no. no no why not um have you watched it i started watching the special a few weeks ago but it's something i've learned about myself and even when i used to do stand-up is i never had really any real aspiration or ability to write a good hour and genuinely, I, I'm not convinced many comedians do have a good hour, even the ones that put out hours by the month. Uh, Jimmy Carr's a unique talent in that he has millions of little jokes that does fill that time. Uh, but no, I, I hate watching a comedian for an hour. I will happily chop an hour special into three 20-minute chunks and enjoy them separately. So I'll watch bits of it. Yeah, maybe before we get into the meat of it, maybe if I just give a bit of context. Yep. So Jimmy Carr... His latest um, stand-up special came out on Netflix. I think it came out at Christmas time, so yeah, it's been it out there for Christmas like Day, a, yeah, yeah, for five I think or six weeks. It came weeks. out in November. No, it didn't. It was launched on Christmas Day on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, um, don't look it up, Neil. It fucking <laughs> dropped on Christmas Day. Stop tapping your fucking computer. And it's entitled "His Dark Materials," and Jimmy Carr's known for being. You know, what edgy comedian quite dark dark humor uh so it's an hour-long special and this week it came out that some of the jokes in it were very uh he well there was they were, they were in a special full of controversial jokes towards the end he made a joke about the holocaust specifically about gypsies who died in the holocaust and that was then picked up and has become a big story this week in the uk and reignited uh, arguments about what constitutes free speech, what constitutes comedy. Neil, have you watched it? I have watched it, and uh, I watched it because of the controversy. So in some ways, you know, if you want to make people watch something very offensive, all you need to do is start talking about it, because I would never have dreamed of watching a Jimmy Carr comedy special unless it was newsworthy and supposedly, you know, really, really dark. But, I mean, it is fascinating to see people judge it entirely on the basis of a 30 second clip it, it, it does sound really dark and it is it is um it is a horrible statement and a horrible idea but i think there's probably enough around it to show that his intentions if you are the type of person that thinks intentions are worth uh paying attention to seem like they're not malign he's not doing it because that's what he actually wants yeah um so it was it, it had its moments the the comedy special but um i mean like richard says there's plenty of other really horrible things and if you start listing them you realize oh actually maybe this is actually the point you know to to kind of you know push it i mean yeah sorry i'll, I'll um i have lots to say about <laughs> this because it just i don't know like it it, it does it is something that um I think connects to the wider conversation like I think the fact that we have Boris Johnson as prime minister who's made his career being on things like have I got news for you and there's like a comedian who's a politician in Italy there's Donald Trump who's like the troll in chief you know like the 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 boundary between comedy and politics is actually way more fuzzy than it was maybe like well at least you know 20 years ago 30 years ago 
when you're saying you John know, Major wasn't funny. <laughs> Come on. And like that was that's what people wanted, you know, like from their politicians. They wanted someone who's serious and gonna do a job. But now it's become part of the spectacle and all politicians have to be um have to be comedians in a way. And I think that's kind of changed our perspective on comedy being like a jester, you know, like a jester in a medieval court um can say whatever they want, they can be very dark, they can criticize anyone, but that's because the jester never has any power. And they are separate. So if the jester starts like, you know, sleeping with the queen or something like that, they soon find out that their, you know, protected status is lost or, you know, they start building a separate castle, you know, like there's all these things. And I think that's kind of the context we have to look at it in. Um, and it's similar with the controversy about Joe Rogan, who, you know, is oh, I'm just a comedian, man. I'm just a comedian. It doesn't matter. I'm just a uh, I'm just a gorilla guy people get their news from him you yeah. know he's like a main source of news so whilst i am on the side of you know um freedom liberty and everything i do i do um think it's quite nuanced this conversation yeah lots lot to unpack there uh, if i just start with the jimmy carr thing to start with i think that one thing that people miss when these stories come to light is the context of it and Jimmy Carr can do light, and he obviously does. He's got a very successful career in light entertainment. But he kind of made his name as a a comedian who does the darker jokes. He's not afraid to shy away from darker jokes. And for the stage he's at his career, people who are going to see him live understand that, right? So dealing with the people in the room, they know what type of jokes they're going to get. If you go and see Jimmy Carr live, it's going to be on the edge. And similarly, you could argue that, okay, there's going to be people people who watch his stand-up special who might have seen him on his light entertainment stuff and who might be shocked by you know the first few jokes etc but if you're 55 minutes into that special you know you know what boat you're sailing on at that (laughs) point and the last five minutes are prefaced by him saying and this is the bit that's going to get me cancelled you know and it's and and those jokes as all as well he also does these explainers around them etc to me that's very different from doing that joke straight off the bat at a comedy club or on a sort of a comedy panel show where you the audience isn't ready for it the audience isn't expecting it it's not the context of that joke so i think what happens when you take jokes completely out of the context of the routine or the show in which they're in then you're you're not you're doing a disservice to the comedian because you're not looking at the whole the whole act the whole point they're trying to make and you're just sort of cherry picking a few words and it and it it, it it's not it's not the joke. It's well. It's not even the joke. It's not even the point they're trying to make. I don't know why I, I drifted off there and I was trying to think of the context <laughs> of jokes and I just one of the one of the in hindsight one of the funniest things I ever saw on a comedy stage was it's only funny pure Schadenfreude because it was the worst thing I ever saw on a comedy stage and uh, you know we've all seen many comedians making dark and horrible jokes uh, in recent times and you know. Obviously, any subject can be constructed to be a funny joke without being a celebration of something horrible and dark that's happened in history or in modern times. And But one night at the Amateur Night in the Edinburgh Stand, now the Amateur Nights in the Stand were always fun because there was no real expectation that the people coming on would be brilliant. So anyone that was even borderline good was really well received. You know, people loved it. You know, you, you got a really good response. That said, you could still die a death on it. And many people 
who'd gone along a comedy club and thought, oh, I could do that. You know, we'd go along, try it, and quickly realise, oh, there's more to it than that. And there was one night I saw this guy just, like, flatlining from the first minute, just silence. You know, he's only got a five-minute slot. And by minute two, you know, the audience are already rolling their eyes and being like, oh, God. You know, and or obviously time slows down at that point. You know, at that point, he's Neo from the Matrix dodging bullets. <laughs> <laughs> and this the last three minutes is going to last forever. And at that point, he, you know, he, he went to his nuclear arsenal, you know, you know, his plan B. And he just said to the room, who all oh, were just looking at him blankly, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And he just said, pedophiles, eh? What's that all about? And it got that exact response. Jordan, you can imagine the context. Now, looking back, I think that's one of the funniest stories because it, it was just horrible. It was just a human suffering. But it's, it, it, you know, that's how not to do it. Jimmy Carr knows how to do it, is my point again. One thing, one okay, here's a thought experiment, right? Imagine someone uh, wants to poison you, but they accidentally mix up the poison with sugar and just make you a sweet cup of tea, right? right? Uh, and imagine someone wants to make you a nice cup of tea and they accidentally put poison rather than sugar in. Now, one of them has the intention of killing you, but actually makes you, gives you some pleasure. Uh, The other one has the intention of uh, making you a nice cup of tea, but actually kills you. Now, let's just hope this is a thought experiment. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, neither of you got a cup of tea on you at the moment, have you? Well, not uh, now. Um, but I think I think this like idea of um, looking at consequences and weighing them against um, intentions is crucial to morality and to how we understand these things. Because right, okay, let's say tomorrow a Jimmy Carr fan goes out and burns down a campsite of a GRT. That's my new acronym. I'd never heard of that before, but GRT. You, you've heard it here second but it, it stands for gypsy roma traveler right and yeah. that's apparently the accepted term for okay i think they the prefer grt plus now but uh <laughs> never mind <laughs> i was um, confused by the t to be honest i was like gypsy romany what the hell's the t stand for but yeah obviously just people love to just people love to travel just join them yeah. just um, car- caravan enthusiasts um i think there is showman and Sinti, like these are other ones. Like, check out for the GRTSS. That that could. Oh no, don't mention the SS. Um, right. You're digging a hole here. <laughs> <laughs> but intentions and consequences. My intent, like I, I feel like I go through life with pretty good intentions. I don't want to harm anyone. I want to be kind to people. I want everyone to be welcome and everything. But maybe occasionally, I, you know, I make a, a bad decision, and you know that causes some ill effect. Um, imagine a Jimmy Carr fan goes out and uh, kills a, a GRT person. Now, that totally changes the whole tenor of the debate around the conversation. And like, I guess there's like an idea of like, well, how, how much um, is Jimmy Carr responsible for the, you know, the, the, the consequences that happen of people that are, you know, maybe less nuanced than him less intelligent than him because i think the whole debate since brexit is like 
are people intelligent enough for democracy? And that leads on to like, are people intelligent enough for free speech? Should people be allowed to listen to Joe Rogan debating vaccination because, you know, there's not enough you know information and stuff? And I, I think my perspective in the past would have always been like the more speech we have, the more we learn and the more we can like learn how it all fits together. Um, but I do worry. What I worry is there's so much stuff that you never actually get get to the end of it and you know like Joe Rogan's producing like 20 hours of podcasts a week like that's basically most people's media consumption <laughs> all in one person so yeah um I think if I'm not a fan of analyzing jokes I think comedy's instinctive I think you you react you find it funny you don't find it funny but just to get to look at the Jimmy Carr joke in isolation because you say could it inspire somebody to go and you know, do something i think the joke works because it's playing on the inherent prejudice there so it's taking a maligned group that are that there is a prejudice against in society and then playing on that by saying so it wouldn't be necessarily that he's creating the hate he's just playing back that that hatred already exists i think that's that's what he's or fans of his would argue that he's shining a light on Indeed, and I, that's how I read it when it's in the full context. But in the the gap, in the little excerpt they posted on Twitter and TikTok, it just looks like people are laughing at the um, at the joke before any context has been added. Um, and yeah, like you know, the fact that we can take things out of context, you know, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a reality, isn't it? And you know, I'm sure. I'm sure you could take out of the, you know, 50 odd hours that I've recorded with Anthony. I'm sure there is like, you know, three seconds that you could hang me on. <laughs> oh, it's more than three seconds. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping all those off cuts uh, for uh, the day I need them. Thank, uh, thank, God, uh, thank God Anthony edits this podcast. because. Uh, did you read the, the David Schneider tweet? Yeah. That was interesting because I like the- David Schneider, you know, comedy actor was in Mission Impossible. Yeah, train driver, wasn't he? The train driver, good knowledge. Uh, And uh, yeah, obviously a very lefty, liberal, London, you know, Twitterer. Uh, All right. You know, (laughs) What's London got to do with it? No, I'm just saying he's a guy that, I I don't think I've ever read a tweet of his that I've disagreed with. Okay. Do you know what I mean? It's just like this. It's The reason I follow him is because he says things I agree with. Yeah. You know, you want to maintain your echo chamber. You know, the echo chamber, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, so he's, I don't know if he was having a pop at Jimmy Carr, but he was certainly wading into the conversation. And someone pulled up a tweet from him in, what, 2010, 11, 12? And it was basically a just as nasty uh, an anti-Romany uh, comment. And then, you know, you can try and play it off, oh, I was younger then. It's like, ah, you were 42, mate. You know, you're, yeah. you're a grown-up. You're an adult. Hoist by his own petard. Yeah, big time. And, and to be fair, all he could do was own it, you know, and say, yeah, that's that's not good enough, uh, which is all all we could do. But I I sense from Joe, uh, Joe Rogan that he is now the, the character type and the, you know, the wealth and the power that he's probably a bit of a psychopath, you know. And he, he's likely to double down on this stuff rather than learn from it. What do you, you say, Neil? I haven't listened to Joe Rogan much lately, but I did listen to the four-hour 
Well, I listened to half the four-hour <laughs> podcast with... You need Jordan, to get a job, Neil. Jordan <laughs> Peterson. Yeah, a real job. Um, you know, I like going for long walks and, you know, occasionally you want to have some voices in your head, as I hope people are doing right now listening to this. But, yeah, the one with Jordan Peterson... Um, which is the one people took excerpts out of that and say, oh, look at what they're saying about climate change, total nonsense and stuff like that. And you think, OK, well, you know, sure. But if, if you listen to a four hour podcast with someone like you can't help but see that, you know, they have nuanced views. They're all human. They all come in from a certain place. Um, it's a lot of subtlety in that conversation, a lot of, you know, experience. Whenever I hear someone do something objectionable or say something objectionable. My instinct is to think, all right, this person must be injured. You know, they wound, they have a wound in them somewhere that needs to be healed. Like I I went on Jimmy Carr's Wikipedia page and found out that his dad walked out on him and he hasn't spoke to his dad in 20 years. Okay. You know, I, I saw that he, you know, became an, an atheist. He gave up his strong Roman Catholic faith. I was like, okay, well, that's another thing. And I also found that he did NLP. I don't know if you've come across NLP. What is NLP? What? Natural language processing? No, I mean, that is an NLP, yeah. But uh, this one is... Uh, I'd, I'd be interested to see the Google race of which which one comes top of Google. But uh, NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. Oh, right. Yeah, I'd heard of that kind of self-helpy thing which allows you mm. to believe in kind of not not program reality but like program your reactions to reality Listen, uh, this, this is a, a callback to last week's episode i know some people don't like them but uh, remember my friend with the lance armstrong bands and the early adopter to leaving and joining facebook uh, he was the first person that told me about neuro-linguistic programming and he was he was telling me in the the day the summary days of 2015 and his his message was very much Trump is going to win this election and it's all down to neuro-linguistic programming. Uh, he is brainwashing these people and it's going to work. Now put on this red hat. No, he, he didn't give me a red hat, but he didn't get my point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that the neuro-linguistic, I mean, he's clearly a damaged person with dark thoughts and the fact that he's managed to channel them into a multi-million pound comedy career um, shows that, you know, he has, um, you know, is, is kind of admirable in a way. But the thing is, right, we're talking about, OK, I was talking about democracy and intelligence, but I think the key thing is not that. It's how much you can decouple ideas from the consequences and the context of those ideas. So people who can have a thought experiment in their head and not immediately think of the consequences of that. So um, for instance, you know, you might have a conversation about eugenics and like the word eugenics will automatically make people go, oh my God, you know, you're yes. a Nazi. Like it just, it just, they can't see past it. But then if you ask someone, well, do you think women or parents should be allowed to screen their fetus for Down syndrome. And people go, oh, well, you know, like four in 10 couples do that. Um, I mean, it's kind of eugenics in a way, but like the fact that you're even like raising that debate and looking at things on a scale, on a nuanced scale, is just impossible for some people because they have like a emotional reaction to certain ideas. Uh, and I really think that's the kind of thing that's been happening in in these cases. That there are people out there, like comedians, who have this um, sphere of language which is totally separate 
to to the reality of the situation and they say a word and that word pops up into your head and it's disgusting or it's horrible and uh yeah you um you react to it and you know you can't help but react to it so i don't know what you think about that idea of decoupling if it's uh, something that resonates or not i was just thinking that jimmy cars is like the um he's like the kevin keegan of comedy in that they always said about kevin keegan was that you know, he, he he was reasonably gifted but he wasn't the most gifted of his dev of his generation but he he almost willed himself to become was that, i think i don't think he was ever world player of the year but he was european player of the year wasn't he yeah definitely yeah he sort of willed him just by hard work and i've seen like, interviews with jimmy carr where he says he's not he's not sort of naturally funny if you know if you sat down with him he wouldn't be the wittiest person in the room but he sort of looked at writing jokes as a craft and if you spend enough time writing jokes you get slowly better and better at doing it so he's sort of as you said that sort of nlp thing he's he's made himself into a successful comedian rather than being the, the the joker as it were so does that mean that is there a cynicism to his comedy is he is he not sort of naturally reacting to what he finds funny but is he sort of seeing what works with his audience and then sort of tailoring the jokes accordingly does he find these jokes himself funny when he's joking about these really abhorrent things i don't know yeah maybe he is maybe he is able to decouple in that respect i think he definitely is an example of a someone that's taken on comedy with an almost scientific approach because like you just said you know that he he figured out how to write not only did he figure out how to write he for a fact recruited a, a posse of writers you know at that stage of his career when he was going from you know n- not famous to you know more and more relevant at the Edinburgh Fringe to television work and all that things he had you know a huge email list of contributors that were all it was the same as, as he was he was a writer for Ricky Gervais and then I, I used to know a couple of the guys that used to contribute uh, and they were you know they were writing jokes for Frankie Boyle as well so they were all part of this sort of cottage industry of writing jokes and he was the you know the head of it I think the interesting thing looking at that new special is that how how, how much he's evolved as a, a persona because right back to the start, I used to think, all right, he does say funny things, but I don't like him because he had this pole-faced, no smiling, no joy. You know, he, he genuinely sort of played the part of a, a sort of robot designed to do comedy. And then they even used that on a couple of crap game shows that didn't quite work. You know, that first phase of his career when he was trying to do that stare at the camera thing, I just didn't get it at all. And it was only when he evolved into being a bit of a banter merchant, you know, on 8 out of 10 cats and whatnot, he did, he came more and more affable. And at some point, he clearly decided, right, I'm bringing this onto the stage. And, you know, you get that silly laugh, you know, those yelpy laughs. Mm. But at least you, you think he's enjoying it. And it also strips away that layer of, all right, I'm just a pure evil joke robot, which is just kind of weird and creepy. Uh, so now that it is, you know, it's right. Whatever he's about to say will make the person next to me laugh, but he doesn't mean it. You know, it's, it's not a real attack on a, a, a minority or something. Ironically, the the bit I watched just before we started recording, if you took it out, you know, out of context on its own, it was just him attacking anti, you know, the all lives matter types. You know, so if you took that alone, you'd have some right wing nut saying, oh, he's he's saying we're a bunch of idiot dickheads. And, you know, that would be true. And something yeah. I imagine Jimmy Carr <laughs> believes, you know. Well, that's exactly what he was doing at that point. But there's a few jokes in there. I think it's towards the end. He, he makes some some paedophilia jokes. 
and you contrast that with what uh, you know, Boris Johnson did last week, where he talked about um, insinuated a, a, a well peddled a far right conspiracy in the UK that uh, Keir Starmer was in some way responsible for not prosecuting Jimmy Savile back in like, 2009 or whatever it was. So there you have this juxtaposition of somebody just making fairly flippant jokes about paedophilia and then somebody else accusing a rival politician of not uh, prosecuting a paedophile. Very, very different contexts. And the second one, I'd argue, is much more damaging, isn't it, than you know, in the context of a joke. Far more damaging to, you know, to, to bring that up. That reminds me of something that I was, I was doing today. But basically, to pass the high school English speaking in Slovakia, kids need to know you know a little bit about American culture and British culture and uh, one of the American teachers in my school kind of palmed off teaching you know British government the systematics of British government and political parties and stuff onto me they were like oh Mr Murray knows more about this than I do so you know you do it so I've basically been doing this improvised lecture twice this week on you know houses of parliament houses of commons what is the queen's role Scottish devolved government, Welsh government, you know, yeah. just going through the whole thing. And obviously, I'm, I'm, I try and be balanced. I try and give them the, just the, you know, the fundamentals of it, whilst obviously chipping in with my own daft asides. But then, you know, one of them might have read a headline or and actually read something as a bit of sort of pre- preparation for the class. And they're saying, oh, yeah, there was this argument about this, you know, guy called Jimmy Savile. And it's like, how do you explain Jimmy Savile? Do you know what I mean? It's like, you, know, you can explain Nick Clegg, you can explain David Cameron, you can explain Boris Johnson and Keir Stammer and the Miller bands. But when someone asks you, just explain as a cultural character, Jimmy Savile, where do you start? It's, you couldn't make it up. It's mental. And people do say a lot, like, oh, just look at him. Like, how could you, like, have this kind of trolley little ogre man, you know, with his weird hair and, you know, shell suits on and not know that he's there's something up with him? For 40 years. <laughs> yeah. For 40 uh, years. Hiding in plain sight. Well, hiding in plain sight. And I think he did that purposefully, didn't he? You know, all the charity work as a way of deflecting. He created this persona a bit like boris johnson has created a persona which he can present to well al johnson as they call him al don't write yeah and it's like a way of deflecting because and you know like um i think bringing keir starmer is very interesting in this context because we don't really know what's whether someone's got good intentions whether someone's got a good character you know it's only proven by their actions by what they do over time and by you know you know like boris johnson i think has shown his character is malign through like his various um interventions in politics you don't need to like look at his pg woodhouse kind of bertie worcester character to 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 you know just look at his actions and i think keir starmer like yeah like I don't know like who he is or like what he's about or like um why you know like what his his record is but yeah I don't like I can see well you know I was gonna say like I I can see why the whole Jimmy Savile thing has come up because there is this mystery because Keir Starmer is a bit of a kind of empty vessel like you don't get a sense of him like Jeremy Corbyn that he's just going and making jam on the weekends i don't know you know like uh, i'm not quite sure who jeremy uh, who keir starmer is um and i don't know how you you know he likes the arsenal we know that 
Um, can him and uh, Corbyn not bond on that? We both, you know, get both sides of the Labour Party. You know, we both support a shit football team. Let's come together, bond over that, and and fix you know this this dying country. Is that not the the answer to the problem? <laughs> I mean, it should have been, but unfortunately, uh, Keir Starmer was. Um, I mean, he he did kind of go along. He didn't leave. He didn't walk out of the cabinet, did he? But um, he did everything he could to undermine Corbyn's position on Brexit. So um, yeah, I don't know. But but then yeah, yeah. Corbyn. Yeah. See yeah. So this is all within the. They're all within like five minute five minute walk of uh, where I grew up. So Keir Starmer drinks in the pineapple, <laughs> and the pineapple is a small little boozer in Kentish Town. They used to be quite good. They used to show live football in there, but I don't think they do anymore. It's now got a Thai kitchen in there. So it's a little bit posher. That's your Keir Starmer pub. Now, Jeremy Corbyn, he doesn't really have a local, but he will stop by Tufnell Park Tavern because that's where Islington North Labour Party usually have their events. But the problem is that's Kinnock's boozer. Kinnock's in there quite a lot. Uh, usually having coffee at lunchtime, so he's not, he's not an alcoholic, but yeah, Kinnock likes a pint and that's his closest. So Corbyn can't really sort of go to the Tufnell Park Tavern too much but he can't go up the road either to uh, the Dartmouth Park Arms because that's Ed Miliband's pub oh, and that's where God. he likes to go on a Sunday that's where he went on to have his Sunday lunch bring a weapon yeah so the problem is all the pubs in the area they're all staked out by either you know current or failed Labour leaders so it's one of the major issues of, of Islington North is the, I do, is the pub I do. situation and, and, and Labour leadership I do have a quick story about Jeremy Corbyn going down the road to Kentish Town, going to a Cuban bar, and uh, apparently there was a speech, and the person giving the speech said, like, the worst thing that happened was uh, the fall of the Soviet Union, and apparently Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> nodded his head vigorously. <laughs> and, uh, and that was seen as my, uh, by the person that told me this as, like, indication that Jeremy Corbyn was not to be taken seriously. <laughs> I'm I'm thrown that Kinnock's still alive. Yeah, Kinnock's still going strong. Kinnock's still going. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I thought if you'd asked me, you know, had I read or suffered a weekend of obituaries of Neil Kinnock, I'd say, oh yeah, that's that's definitely happened. Yeah. The Mandela effect. Yeah. yeah. So I Labour, was l- Labour leaders in their pubs. Little true story about prominent Labour politicians ever so distantly uh, appearing in our lives. I remember when I used to work for the City of Edinburgh Council. It was my lunch break and uh, I, I, you know, my office was at the top of the Royal Mile and I'd be ducking out and my nearest Greg's was like over the way and I got out and there was this huge crowd. I was like, oh shit, I want a sausage roll. There's this huge crowd and it was Robin Cook's funeral and I couldn't get across the bloody street. So I had to sprint all the way down to Princess Street and find a Greg's down there. It was a stressful <laughs> lunch break caused by Robin Cook's funeral. Robbie so, and Cook's assassination by Tony Blair. Is that not just evidence that Greg's were cannibalising themselves at that point? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, probably. Just stealing business from another Greg's. Ah, uh, Greg's. Those were the days. Apparently there was a, this, the street where the first Greg's was. There was a in Newcastle. I think it was in Newcastle, wasn't it? Greg's starting off. Apparently within like 10, blo- 10 shops, there was four pie shops. Right. And no one at that point predicted that it was going to be Greg's out of the four. Going back to like, the Kevin wow. Keegan Jimmy Carr thing. No one could have said, like, yeah, their they're pastings they're the are the best. They just sort of, they just got the model right. And off they went. That's amazing. Europe, European football of the year. Well, Richard does a nice sausage roll, but Neil <laughs> does a good pie. I tell you what, Greg does some moderately good boar 
all right, let's just always go there. And that is how capitalism works. <laughs> Some guys compromising <laughs> on one decision and then the other two companies fall by the wayside, even with their superior products. You're wasting English. Win. You're wasting. You need to get you in business studies. You need to get you in front of the students. Yeah. I do remember my hometown had an Oliver's. I don't know if Oliver's was a chain. Did you ever see an Oliver's bakery? No. Dumfries, right in the middle of Dumfries, there was an Oliver's. It was pretty good. And then it became a baker's oven. And then baker's oven, for a little while, was going toe-to-toe with Greg's. But ultimately, Greg's, I think, gazumped and took out baker's oven as well. Yeah. Big baker's pie. oven was decent. But yeah, Greg's ain't great, is it? <laughs> um, talking about footballers, I know we briefly mentioned Kevin Keegan. I've been thinking about morality in footballers today. Because I don't know if you saw this footage of Kurt Zuma. Uh, basically, he was someone posted onto social media uh, some video of him kicking and hitting a cat, his pet cat, <laughs> which I mean, you know, I'm trying not to laugh because obviously it's like horrible for the cat. But like the person doing the footage was like laughing hysterically um, in that kind of like, I mean, you know, when you can really yeah. hear someone hyperventilating, laughing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how serious it was, but like. Clearly, everyone's like, this guy is, you know, terrible. But how much worse is Mason Greenwood? Like, like I'm, I'm kind of like trying to work out the different scales. And how much worse is the Saudi Arabian regime? Like, <laughs> is, is morality on like a hierarchical scale? And as football fans, like, I think a lot of people will object more to Kurt Zuma, like, hitting a cat than they will to the Saudi Arabians, like, beheading journalists. It, it uh, sounds like you're trying to construct some, like, genuine counter-reformation <laughs> in the sense of undoing what the Reformation introduced under Martin Luther. So you're like, right, if you're a Saudi other prince, that's, Christ knows what crimes they get up to, morally, you will <laughs> pay into the coffers of this system to absolve your sins, whereas what's the, what's the economic value of kicking a cat versus punching and raping a woman? I think Neil's just trying to construct an alternative Premier League table. Where he's got right. <laughs> he's got Newcastle at the bottom for murdering journalists. Well, that be the bottom or the top? What what's that? What's well, the oh, it's all relative, isn't it? It depends whether you're looking at it upside down or not. I'm sure many people that have had issues with the Saudi prince have have been upside down at some point. Yeah. So if you put the league table in front of them, Luke Skywalker style in the cave, Newcastle are going to be at the top. I will say the the love that Western Europe and North America, and you probably throw Australia and New Zealand into that as well, the love that those parts of the world have for cats and dogs is not shared by the entire planet. And there are large swathes of the earth where kicking cats and dogs is fairly standard behaviour, whether you like it or not. That's... <laughs> As there's some parts of the world where the dogs get off lightly if they're just getting kicked. What kind of cat was it? Because I li- there's some cats I look at and think, I'm not a cat guy, but that one's kind of cute. Whereas just a, a mangy cat, no, nah, sod off. It was a little tabby cat, but it's, it's. I mean, it is kind of really interesting to look inside Kurt Zuma's like, horrible footballer's home. Like he has like an enormous... Um, dinner table with 12 I think it's like blue chair anyway like you know you can see the excesses of the Premier League money system which is you know it's fine but um, 
And I guess following on from this question of like, you know, who did worse and how it works is that a question of like, can anyone be forgiven? So Kurt Zuma in the next few days is going to donate a shit ton of money to the RSPCA, you know, Cat Protection League. You know, he'll go on social media, he'll grovel, say, oh, you know, I've made a mistake. I mean, I, I'm assuming this is going to happen. You know, Joe Rogan, um, you know, has been doing these podcasts for like 10 years or so, made a big, you know, apology this week for, you know, using the N-word and things like that and has made... I think actually made an apology for not being as balanced on COVID. So like he's making apologies. Like, do we forgive? Like, is there any forgiveness or are these things like what they, you know, they used to call like, what is it like mortal sins? I think like a mortal sin is like one you just can't recover from. Right. Or. Yeah. But the list that includes like murder and shagging. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you're going to tell me murderings, worse, you know, shaggings is, but you know, out with marriage, not a problem either you guys have being married men, you know, from, from a long time ago. Uh, you know, compare that with the murders that I've committed. <laughs> I mean... Uh... You can forgive if somebody is genuinely apologetic and if there's a punishment associated with it and if they if they serve that punishment, whether that's uh, you know, imprisonment or some other, you know, form of, form of punishment, then, yeah, you, you should forgive eventually. I, I think just, I, I'm a forgiveness yeah. fundamentalist. Because that's what Jesus was. Nothing's too bad. Even exactly. Jimmy Savile. <laughs> Don't know how he's going to get away with it. But the theory is he could. That's Jesus' message. Yeah. yeah. There has to be some road to redemption for all of us. But I wonder whether partly, especially with Joe Rogan, it's just like if we can get this guy cancelled, that's 20 hours of people's attention that we can get back. We can spread. You can watch, you know, one ep- listen to one episode of The Whip Beyond Measure. Fit that in. Maybe, a, you know, a bit of mainstream media. You'd listen to Polonium and Novichok. Yeah, that's special. Joe Rogan could squeeze in the whip beyond measure, sort of in between, you know, hour one and three of his podcast one day, you know, just as a sort of throw some morsels out to the little guy. This goes back to what I was saying about the, the hour of comedy. I know, you know, I would never want to listen to an hour of comedy. And I remember going to see shows at the Edinburgh Fringe and like watching, you know, famous, famous comedians toiling at 40 minutes. You know, they're all aware there's this hump they need to go over just so they can finish mm. the show. And it's like, I've never seen, I think I once saw Bill Burr, like, almost pull it off. You know, and like the most famous comedian in the world at that point. So many other people just struggle to do it. Why would you listen to any podcast for four hours? Uh, I, I'm going to see Stuart Lee for two hours, do his double, mm-hmm. double bill. We'll see how that goes. It's got an intermission. But I think it's really notable that this big trucker dispute, which, you know, some I don't know how they're supposed You're to be... You're going to need some detail, Neil. Uh, so in Ottawa, <laughs> in Ottawa, in Canada... That's a segue. Been a, there's, been a, uh, there's been a trucker blockade. Basically, they've shut down the entire country and they're keeping the people of Ottawa up all night by honking their big oh. truck horns. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know much about this, but apparently some of them are right-wing some of these truckers did hear that swastikas were mentioned well in the, the news report i listened to and that was democracy yeah. now good good yeah. people on both sides i heard <laughs> good people on both sides but richard but, said that not me but, not but, me. <laughs> but who listens to more podcasts 
than truckers. Truckers are podcast audience number one. They've got hours and hours and hours just sitting in a car, you know, like like doing nothing than listening to podcasts. Like, like they are the prime audience to be radicalised by the podcasterati. Yeah. So do you think, because they say that like long distance trucking is the easiest type of driving to automate, so like the first self-driving cars will most likely be like self-driving long distance trucks. Yeah. Do you think the robots driving those trucks will become right wing and uh, start blockading capitals because they've just been listening to Joe Rogan for is that 70 how we get hours to, straight? Is that how we get to the Terminator situation? <laughs> yeah. It's the AI fed by right wing podcasters at the same point where they become, you know. Yeah, because uh, AI just react, AI reacts to its uh, its input, right, to its uh, stimuli. Yeah. So it's just listening to Joe Rogan for hours and hours on the road then yeah you're gonna get to that makes perfect sense so it's it's all part of the spotify algorithm yeah meeting the self-driving motors refusing to believe in refusing to believe in a computer virus (laughs) (laughs) that's how we get to skynet yeah oh shit it's gonna happen i tell you what is gonna happen just to go back to your robot big driving cars the wonderful night i had in the chattanooga greyhound station one night where I spent several hours waiting for a bus to South Carolina a couple of years ago. And let's say there was 20 different people in the, you know, the station, you know, different colors, black, white, overweight, tall, thin, young, old, every part of the world was sort of represented in that situation. And every single person, because, you know, people were speaking back and forth and I was, you know, pretending to be a writer, listening to other people, you know, and, Every single person there, I'm talking from 18-year-old girls to 60-year-old men, were into long-distance driving, long haulage. That was their job. And it was just like looking at this weird mystery world where how can all these different people all be in this part of this society who are all doing the same job? And it was quite cool because they were all sharing advice. You know, I lost my job here. Oh, you should go over there. You know, there was a sort of camaraderie about it which was quite quite beautiful in a way. But ultimately, I was just sitting there thinking, I think the film Logan had already come out. And there's a bit in Logan where you have these automated trucks on the road. And I was just saying, this is where America falls apart, when the, your entire underclass are all reliant on the same job, you know, working for Amazon, delivering shit, driving it from coast to coast, and every one of them is going to become obsolete. This is not going to work. Something terrible is going to happen. I hadn't factored in Spotify and Joe Rogan. In in the short term, they wonder whether they're going to still have like a steward who's going to have to go with the cargo to make sure it doesn't get stolen ah, right. <laughs> or, or hacked, as it were. So they're until, still five... <laughs> until they, they get the kill box. <laughs> until, <laughs> that guy until, can be replaced. Yeah, until they get the uh, the probe droids uh, off at the back of them. But it, <laughs> but the, the, that that kind of depot center to depot. Is, is the easiest one to do because it doesn't involve sort of the tricky city centre driving. It's just yeah. motorway to uh, transit hub to transit hub kind of thing. So, yeah, you're right. That's sort of the uh, the intercity trucker is a is an endangered species. Probably why they're so angry and they're boycotting Ottawa. But in that case, that was because of um, Canadian vaccine mandates, I think. They were, there was a, Canada had said that anybody who comes across the border from the US who wasn't vaccinated would have to quarantine. And uh, that, that made them upset. Being true, what beyond measure here, I'm trying to whip up a, an improvised Canadian impression 
complaining about it, and I can't do it. I don't think I've got a Canadian impression. Anyone? Well, you have to base it all around the boot, don't you? <laughs> it's a boot time. <laughs> yeah, I've got nothing. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully they won't automate the whip beyond measure anytime soon, and we won't get cancelled for our um, various slurs against the GRT community. We didn't say anything no, bad no. about the GRT. <laughs> I don't know why I said that bit at the end. That was clearly not the case. Yeah. Okay. One of the things I do no, think about, I mean, I, I literally live in like the biggest uh, GRT area in Bratislava. And obviously this is a culture which is a far bigger proportion of GRT people than the UK, mm. where their issue with these people is, you know, is, is quite different from the the way it is here. But I mean, you know, they, they've never bothered me. Some of your uh, best friends are GIT. Yeah, identify as GIT. Yeah, <laughs> you can both have, ask for it on a good, have, you know, a day in the sun. Well, um, good luck to them, and uh, you know, I uh, I hope <laughs> any of them listening that uh, has an issue will get in touch with Anthony. I don't know what I'm saying at the end of this podcast. I've, I've, I spent the day uh, I, I breathing like, paint fumes. Yeah, I feel oh, you're yeah, about. You I, that, yeah. I feel you're about to say like, if you've been affected by the issues <laughs> raised in this podcast, 